0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Spoonful of Recovery. Just as usual, we have a few trigger warnings. We will be talking about symptoms of illnesses, mental health. So, if you find any of those topics challenging, this episode may not be for you. So, today we have Yusra. Yusra, if you'd just like to introduce yourself, please. Sure.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Yusra, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit about my invisible illness called endometriosis. Uh, You may or may not have heard of it. Talk a bit more about that.
0: Can you just let everyone know, for those of us who don't know what it is, what that diagnosis means for you?
1: Sure. So it means basically chronic pain and everyone's different. So my pain was pretty intense initially when I was diagnosed and has been pretty intense since. It comes and goes and and then alongside the pain, you get things like brain fog and exhaustion, fatigue, and just, you know, just generally not not fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think most of us can relate to the chronic pain and just having pain all the time. So can you just explain to us, because obviously symptoms vary for everyone, how it impacts your daily life? Sure. So like for me, um, I've had two
1: surgeries for it over the past four years. and after each surgery, things get better. And then there are management schemes. There's no, nothing that cures illness, but there are ways to like manage it. And so if I'm having a good week or month, then it's fine. I'm, I'm able to do pretty much everything. There's some pain there, but you sort of, you know, it becomes like part of your life. So you don't really think about it. Um, and then if I have a flare up, then it's not so fun. I've recently started getting migraines alongside it. So that means that I can't work. Um, and I pretty much spend all day in bed which is not really um, what I like to do sometimes I'll try to force myself to do things but it means probably over reliance on painkillers and heat pads and that kind of thing yeah that's basically it
0: yeah I was walking around the house with heat patches on yesterday and the ones you you wear over your clothes Mm. and mom was like what are you doing and I was like no mom I still have back pain it's been two years she was like oh right yeah you still have back pain remember when you couldn't move I was like yeah, no, it's still bad. It's just I've somehow managed to work my life around it. I've just got here. Yeah,
1: up.
0: I'm like less ashamed. It's just I have the pain and I have to accept it.
1: Yeah, no. Um, so I have um, this like sort of tie around hot water bottle, so oh, I can okay. just tie it around my waist because that works really well. Because I get like sort of a belt of pain around my abdomen, and so that means that you know you can do your day to day things. You can cook and like yeah. clean and just live your life but it's not very practical to, get, to go out in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have to manage my days quite a lot and use my calendars for like breaks and how many times I can walk into the city centre and where I'm going to sit if I need to pace. What was it like to get a diagnosis? Did you just have pain and then your GP said, yep, yeah, this is what you've got?
1: No, um, it was <laughs> nothing like that. So I had pain, so in the lead up to this, I was going to, I started kickboxing and I, the first time I felt like really, really sharp stabbing pain in my abdomen was whilst I was kickboxing. And I just thought, you know, I've done something wrong. I've kicked weird and it started hurting. So I didn't really think about it. And then I went away for work to the States and it, I was in a lot of pain, uh, like a lot, lot more than normal. And I was like, this isn't normal, but okay. And it wasn't until I went back home to Kuwait that I just mentioned it to my mom. I'm like, oh, you know, my abdomen has been hurting on and off of a little more than it should, like, you know, not at all. Uh, and she said, okay. So we went to the doctor there um, and they thought it was IBS. They did a bunch, bunch of tests and then they just gave me pills for that. It made no difference. So I came here. I went to the GP. The GP says... I think you have a UTI. It doesn't make sense because it's been so long, but I think that's the the issue. So she gave me like extra pills for UTIs and I did that, Uh, you know, drank a lot of cranberry juice and the whole thing, Um, no impact. So I went back and then like, they did like a physical examination and they're like, well, we can feel something there, but I don't know whether this is digestive related or whether it's related to your reproductive system. I don't actually know where to send you. So she decided to send me to just like an internal med- medicine specialist and it wasn't until I saw him that like you know someone actually knew what they were doing because <laughs> he he started asking me questions and you could sort of see that he was like honing in on the issue and then he called his gynae friend and sent me off to her. But even then so that was maybe January even then it was four oh no I had my surgery in May and the only way you can be diagnosed is through surgery and so Essentially, like, you know, they do all the imaging tests, a bunch of ultrasounds. They couldn't see anything there, but I was in lots of pain. And that's really difficult because they can't see the source of the pain. Um, And it makes you think that maybe it's all in your head. Yeah. So I went through like a period of like, I think it's in my head. And it was really bad that I'd stopped socializing. And I got really depressed and I couldn't work out why I was depressed. I was like, what's wrong? Later, I realized it was because I hadn't left the house in a month. <laughs> um and so she's like okay let's you know do surgery let's see what's up and then when they did the surgery then they found like the endometriosis in my abdomen and they're like she cut it out and that's basically when they were able to say yes this is what you have so it was kind of vindicating at least you know it's not in my head I hadn't made it up but it wasn't a fun process and mine was still quicker because I was able to go sort of private and you know, I, I just got really lucky with the doctors I found. The average diagnosis is seven years. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I, I've heard that quite a lot. And I think with invisible and chronic conditions, it's quite common to be dismissed. And, oh, it's in your head. Or if you stop making it up because they can't see it. And it sounds like you were dismissed a lot. And you mentioned you felt depressed. What was that journey like? You know, you knew something was wrong. You obviously felt in pain and then someone's going can't really see what's going on and you might have surgery and stuff like how did that make you feel
1: I was like really scared initially I was like what have I done wrong like you know is there have I done something wrong with my health that has like led to this happening um, and so I asked like doctor friends I'm like why is this happening and how is this happening and they said well actually we don't know and it's nothing you've done it's just it's just your body and I'm like great <laughs> and I think a lot of that sort of It was just invisible and I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that I was in pain and that it was just getting progressively worse. And then when they sort of suggested surgery, like it meant surgery was, you know, under general. So you'd be out and I had never had surgery before. In fact, like before this, I hadn't really been to the doctor before. You know, you go for a cold or, you know, to get antibiotics or something, but not, I'd never made so many trips to the hospital. And had all these like ultrasounds and all this stuff um so i felt really like i think in a lot of ways quite isolated because i knew this one girl at work that had it and she said it's okay you know once you have the surgery it'll all be fine um but i didn't really have like i hadn't heard of it before and i was like "I, i don't know what's going on but i think the thing that frustrated me the most was the fact that they like every time i went for a checkup um and she did an ultrasound she's like everything's fine your uterus is in good condition your ovaries are fine i'm like okay great thank you but (laughs) i'm in pain
0: yeah i think sometimes Uh, i think that they're being really helpful like i had an mri scan in the web well you're great the mri is fine and i was like i've got symptoms that mimic a brain tumor yeah no no no, it's fine you just ignore it the mri said you're fine and i was like but i'm dropping on the floor in front of you and they were like yeah no just go home be happy and i was like that doesn't seem right to me at all
1: yeah no it's it's exactly that it's like they're saying you're fine but you're like I'm not fine okay it's like okay the image is fine but I'm not fine and then like the whole uh lead up to the surgery I was pretty scared because um they uh put you under and then they put like gas in your stomach like you know it's a whole thing I never had it before so I think the positive the second time around I had surgery I was prepared and I was a lot more relaxed about it but uh, yeah and then I think even with my family like my mom she was really worried um, and she was sort of she had used her network to get second and third opinions (laughs) and then she's like I don't know about the surgery like you know are you sure she needs to go to surgery and uh, luckily like The other doctors that she'd spoken to had also said like this is the right thing to do and at that point all I wanted was to go to surgery. You know I thought at least I'll know one way or another now and a couple of scars is nothing.
0: You mentioned feeling isolated. Was there anyone or anywhere that you could turn for support? So family, friends, online, social media?
1: I realized later that there's like a lot of online resource on it. Um, I also realized later that one of my close friends also had endometriosis but it was one of those cases where she was away on holiday and you, you know you don't really want to message them be like hey I'm really sick especially if you're not able to meet up with them so it wasn't until after surgery and then like when I, when she, I found out she had it like it's helped a lot because it's just something like her diagnosis and experiences like worlds apart to mine but at least you know we can talk about it and the frustration I think the biggest one is the frustrations of going to the doctor all the time and going hi I'm back (laughs) it's not gonna
0: work and during the pandemic a lot of people have opened up the conversation about mental health how much do you think that has sort of evolved and bearing in mind both of us come from South Asian cultures and you know we're people of colour we don't always talk about mental health because it's stigmatized a lot. How do you think that conversation has evolved? I think
1: it's difficult. So like within sort of my family I with like my parents and stuff, I still don't talk about my mental health. Uh, Maybe I should, I just find it difficult. But personally, I think it's been more of a journey where I, so I know up until last year, um, I would tell everyone, you know, you should go to like, you should keep aware of your mental health. Go to a therapist. Like all of these things are good and normal. Um, but for myself, I'd be like, oh, I don't need to. I'm not broken. I don't need to go. And it was, I think I like for me, I had to get all the way to breaking point before I like sought help. And I think it's once I did, as I realized, it's actually a lot more normal. A lot of my friends have see therapists. A lot of people go and they go pretty often. And But what I found interesting was like, over the pandemic, a lot more people needed it and a lot of like people I know, but there, within the South Asian community, but I think especially within men, there's a huge like, barrier, like they would not seek it, or like any time it got a little difficult to get access to the help, they sort of just give up. So I think there's, there is a lot of stigma. And I found even when I did like go see a therapist, it's very difficult to find someone that you don't feel judged by Yeah, um, as a woman of color. So I had um, a white woman and like a few se- like the first few sessions were fine. And then like slowly I got the feeling that she'd be like, you're a culture or you're this. And I'm like, no, you know, you're not allowed to make assumptions and you're also not allowed to judge. This is like, that's your job. And it's really difficult to find someone that can like listen to you and be, just 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 listen to you and not sort of make assumptions that oh because you're from this background this is how you would deal with it or this is how people would react or that these issues are because of your background
0: so yeah I did uh, yeah I do find that relatable because I did quite a lot of CBT sessions from Mm. the NHS and um, it was a group one and I did like three or four rounds and it was like oh you know it's different for your culture you have big families so and I was like does not mean I'm not isolated and I actually come from a very small family but when I went and got a private therapist she she was actually someone who understood the culture and she you know she didn't make those assumptions and it it just makes a huge difference in terms of how you process those emotions rather than going well I'm at another judgment place yeah
1: exactly you feel you feel like you're on the back foot again because you're having to you're having to in a way, sort of defend your culture, and you're like, well, actually, you know, I don't agree with all of these things, but you put me in a position where I have to defend because yeah. that's the only way I look respectable here. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and that's it's just not right. I find it really, really difficult to find that right person because because then you still have to find like that right connection as well because not everyone feels like you, someone you can talk to. So I think it is definitely a journey, and I don't think. So, I've I've tried to ask my mum to go, and she's she refused. She says she doesn't need to talk to anyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have definitely tried to have that conversation with my mum and dad, and they're like, "We've seen it all. We've been through enough. We've survived." And I'm like, "Okay." Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sure. Hopefully, there's a generational cycle that's been broken, mm-hmm. of accepting yeah. therapies. Okay, and um, you recently got married. I did. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> um, how early on did you mention that you have a diagnosis?
1: So my marriage is a funny one because we spoke about like a lot of really serious things right at the start for many many reasons, but most of it was because like you know we wanted to do this Islamic as possible, and so I mentioned it. Must have mentioned it maybe the third time we met. So fairly, very, very very early on. I have a friend who's got. Um, another sort of chronic illness, and she says she mentions it pretty much from the get-go because it is such a big part of your life. Um, you don't want to make it your identity, yeah. but it does impact like how you experience the world, and that's really important for like your partner as well. So yeah,
0: you give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you mention it, it's like that person's running a mile, or they just don't think it's serious enough because they can't. Yeah. Say-
1: It's difficult. Like you mention it and they don't think it's serious or they don't really get it. Or sometimes you actually want them to ask questions and then they don't. Um, And then, you know, you know, well, okay, you're not interested in a very big part of my life, but I think there's definitely hope. Uh, My husband's pretty, really good with it. So he knows like what to do um, once I have a flare up. I think what's difficult is actually myself. So I've still not accepted fully like that this is a part of my life I'm always like you know the next time I go they'll give me something and then it will just like they'll just be in the background and I think because I'm holding out hope for this thing when I have a really bad flare-up I get really upset because I, I'm just so sick of it yeah and I think that that does make that does start to take a toll on like your relationship because it's easy for someone else to accept that it's chronic because it's not happening to them yeah Whereas for you, it's like, for me, it's like each time I go through the whole cycle, but I'm working through that. So hopefully one day I'll be like, yeah, this is normal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can, I can totally relate. So obviously from being bed bound and I couldn't make it up the stairs for months. Yeah. Um, but it happened during the pandemic. So no one really knew what I was going through. But now I'm at a point where I just accept it. You know, I've got a podcast, I raise awareness, but I started to do jujitsu and martial arts. And I go, yeah, I'm back to healthy Shayla, I'm, I'm there again. And then I realize that I do crash a lot quicker and I'm finding it hard to accept that I need to give something up in order to do this and I have to make a sacrifice. And then I just get mm. frustrated because I feel like, have I moved forward or am I going back and I, am I gonna make myself bedbound? But I really enjoy what I do. So I'm making a, a mentally it's doing wonders for me, but physically I'm like, how long can I do this for?
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally get that because um, during the pandemic, I took up running because I couldn't think of anything else. And I made a lot of really, really good progress. And then one day I went for a run and I was in so much pain that I had to like stop and sit down. And I got really angry at myself because like physically I was, my body is able to do that run. Yeah. Um, but because of the pain, I wasn't able to continue. And I got so frustrated at myself, I didn't run for a year after, (laughs) Um, because I was like, I don't want to go out there and not be able to come back. Um, And it's, I I think it is like a lot of like accepting what your body can and cannot do and, and like just being kind to yourself because you can do those things, it just means you need longer recovery, or some days you can't, and it's okay, but I think when you're, like, you still remember your life before the diagnosis, and you're like, well, I could do everything then.
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to run five to nine k's, when I see someone running past me, like a normal runner, I just, I sort of envy them a little bit, because I think Mm. I used to be able to do that, and I can't, I almost can't look at them, so I'm still trying to work through that, and just be like, yeah, but Shayla, you do other things. But I just find that kind of like it was my one thing that I used to do to help me cope before I got ill. And now all of a sudden I see other people running and it just really gets to it triggers me sometimes. So I'm just like working through that quite Yeah, likely.
1: it's it's really hard because like I think we just assume
0: the other person is fine, but yeah. we don't know, maybe
1: there's something else.
0: <laughs> what do you think needs to be done to raise awareness about invisible conditions? I
1: think there's like a lot more talking about it. I find it difficult at work. So I've had to, um, in the past three, four months, I've had to take at least one day off every month because I just had a bad flare up. And usually it's because I had like a migraine, I can work like if you know my body's in pain, but I can't work if my head's in pain because it's yeah. really hard to like look at the screens and things. And I, th- I feel really guilty each time I take the sick day. Um, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I've got a migraine, I'm sick. And then people say, oh, go to the doctor, see see if you can like fix it. And like, yeah, okay. And because it's such a female illness as well, um, and I work in a very male environment, I, I don't even feel comfortable. I mean, it's not, I don't want to make them uncomfortable by telling them about my illness because I know how men react. They don't want to hear about any of this. and. So then you can't really share, and you can only share like, there's only like a couple of people you share with, and then you don't want people to feel sorry for you, and it's just very difficult. So I think even in the workplace, if there was more awareness of the existence of invisible illnesses, that would really help.
0: Mm. And what kind of adjustments, if any, have been made for you from work?
1: this is a really good point. Um, at my previous employer, I'd taken, I'd asked for a condensed hours contract in my final like two years there where I had every other Friday off. And I'd done it because I was like, oh, I've got all these projects I'd like to work on. But actually what ended up happening was those Fridays helped me recover um, every week or every two weeks. So, so like it was essentially a rest day, an extra rest day. And that was really good because I didn't take as many sick days off there my new place I don't have that condensed hours so I'm working nine to five every day which is normal <laughs> and it didn't occur to me until very recently that I could actually go to the workplace health people and ask for adjustments and I think like one of those adjustments would be hey is there any way we can do condensed hours so it's, it's something that's on my list of things to do I haven't done it yet I think like I don't have any issues going to the health people and asking it's than like you know, the people in my team knowing and there's something I'm not I, I try to make myself more comfortable like tell people about my illness socially but in the workplace I'm very conscious that I'm already a brown woman who's a Muslim and I just feel like if I add like this fourth lens on I'm just piling more onto myself that I don't need So like, maybe if I put yeah, I don't know. And it's not the right way to think about it, but um, it's also, it is reality.
0: Yeah, I think if you already have enough challenges and you're like, I'm trying to break those and deal with those. And then now I've got another handful on my plate and I'm going to have to tackle this one. And we're already demoralized enough. You do kind of want to work around it. But I got to a point that I hid it. And then I was like, screw it I'm just gonna have to tell everyone because I can't hide this and I'd already lost enough people or they chose to leave and I just thought well it's a part of my life now and sometimes I do want to forget like I volunteer at a a cafe at my old school and make meals and I just for four hours I can forget that I'm sort of ill even though I might be in pain I talk to people about other things but then when I'm like working I'm sat down and I'm like oh my back's hurting oh this is happening I can't do this then it's those so slow reminders, and I'm like, no, it is your life. It's part of your life. It's not my identity, but it's still something that I had to like learn to yeah. deal with. I think that's
1: really difficult. The sort of not making it your identity, uh, and I like for for that reason, I don't follow like any Instagram accounts on endometriosis because I feel they they just they make it your identity, and like it, it's it's difficult because you know they're they're relatable and sometimes they'll have good tips but also you you want to spend your life being you and not the illness ruling you and some days I think it is more difficult because it's it's so like so much in the forefront of your mind like that you put pain or whatever and then that's you feel like that's the only thing you talk about
0: as well yeah I I did find that I leaned on a lot of groups at the beginning because I couldn't accept I was ill and I just how do you recover how do I get up you know I'm bedbound no one's listening and people were quite good to give you advice on change your GP go to pals but I noticed if I mentioned recovery or if anyone else had a sign of recovery no one really wanted to hear about it in the group because everyone wanted to vent and kind of go yeah. like ill for 10 years you know how dare you talk about this you know whatever it is you're talking about help you and oh well I wish I could get up and read a book but I can't so it felt quite started to feel quite toxic so I was like I kind of lean in when I can and you know try and support as much as I can but I don't go on it like every day I dip in and out because I found it too like you know someone said that you know they were started running again and someone was like well I wish I could leave the house and you know how dare you talk about this so I just thought I don't want to turn into that person that kind of tears the one down. But I do understand if you've been ill for long enough and you didn't grow up with social media and no one there to talk to that you just don't know how to see a different way out.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there is a huge portion of this like being mental um, as well. Like, Yeah. yeah, it's a physical illness, but actually how you see it does help your recovery. So if you like... I guess if you see everything with like a positive frame, like, okay, I can't run, but at least I can walk and I can walk quicker. And then I can build myself up to running and like have that positive mental mindset instead of, you know, I can't do anything because I'm ill. And I think uh, surrounding yourself with those kinds of people makes a big difference. So like the girl I work at mentioned, she like she's very active. Um, and so I see her, I'm like, okay, she can do it. Then I should be able to do it. Mm. And so otherwise you like, when you look online, there's a lot of people that are still, you know, very much bedbound bound or not going out yeah. and doing things. And and then if, you, if that's all you see, that's what you sort of believe is that that's all I can do. And I think that's obviously not helpful, especially if you are, are an active person you like to do things the worst thing you can do is sort of convince yourself you can't do anything
0: yeah and have there been any silver linings since you've become ill like is there something you started to do that you wouldn't have done if you went
1: I think a couple of big ones one one of them is just like understanding mental health more and the other one is being more compassionate (laughs) um I remember when I was at university there was this girl and to be fair, I still think that she did take advantage of like being very ill to like, you know, get extensions on exams and things. And, but at the time, like we, I mean, we didn't like <laughs> how she sort of used her illness to do things or pretended to be ill. We didn't know. I don't even know what she had but I think like now I look back on it and I'm like actually no that was really mean because I don't know she could actually have been very very ill. It's difficult because her personality wasn't very great but that's besides the point. Um, I think that the the main concept is like you really don't know uh, what people are fighting through and most people have something and yeah it's just like knowing that that could be happening and sort of giving people concession, I think, would be the big silver lining. The other one was, I got very, very interested in medicine that I applied to med school. I got in, I made a decision not to go in the end, but um, yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) really became a
0: doctor. (laughs) You got into it. I mean, the more I learn about the brain, the more I'm interested in. I do with box and, you know, neuroplasticity and how we like, retrain our brain and stuff like that but then I just leave it at that <laughs> like I'm <interested. laughs> not into brain surgery and <laughs> last question say someone's listening to this and they've just had a diagnosis but specialists aren't really taking them seriously they're not getting support they're being isolated what advice would you give them
1: biggest advice I think would be like change the specialist like look around there are online resources for sort of wait sort of list people that are listening or that are experts in this. Um, there's a lot of really good doctors on the NHS. Uh, you might have a long waiting list, but I had a long waiting list with them privately as well. So, <laughs> and then I think the other piece is to just try as much as you can to do normal things in your life. I found that when I stopped socializing because I sort of let the pain take over. I got more depressed because I had an illness I didn't know what it was I wasn't really sure it was there and I wasn't seeing any of my friends so I was just on my own all the time but actually um the next time I had like a really bad flare up like right before my second surgery, I forced myself to go out like manage it so I wasn't going out all the time or Um, as much as I would but I I made sure I was going out more often. And then if I needed to like, you know, take a break whilst I was walking or um, stay sat down for longer or whatever, um, or take like a heat patch with me, but I would go out because it meant that at least mentally I was doing much better than if I was just on my own and letting the illness take over. I think that's really important. Um, And I think it's really important to talk to people about it, But I would also caution like who you speak to because I don't know about you, but I hate, I hate telling some people because they then start treating you like an invalid. Yes. And I don't want to be an invalid. I'm fine. Um, I'm just not well, but fine. <laughs> and so it's, I think, you know, you know your friends, you know people you socialize with, so you can gauge who, who treats you how and then like, you know, continue to engage with the people that, treat you like you're fine but something's a little wrong because the last thing you want is people sort of going like asking you every two minutes if you're okay
0: yeah yeah I I think sometimes people trying to fix you with suggestions that are unhelpful or going oh well it's not cancer you know come on be happy or you know you've not got chopped arm and I'm just like no but pain is pain though like my feelings are still valid and then you get the ones who ditch you unfortunately but you know they needed to leave your life they needed to leave and then there's some that are just accommodating and go yeah, yeah. let's sit in the car and watch your sunset let's not hike or you can't do this but should we do that is I think a lot more helpful but I'm getting to a point where I'm learning that not everyone gets it you kind of really do have to go through it in order to kind you of do you
1: definitely do like with endometriosis I get so many so many people go I tell them about it I explain what it is and then they're like yeah my pain periods are painful too and I'm like it's not the same because yeah. like yours is like I mean may- maybe it is maybe actually you're not diagnosed but 99% of the time it's just like I hate it because it really minimizes my well I'm telling them and I'm and but that's what people do because it's it's a way to relate to what you're talking about, and people always go back to themselves. So, I've learned to like just be like, Oh, okay, um, rather than get really, really angry um, yeah. because I'm here trying to tell you about something that's actually really difficult.
0: Yeah. And, and I've noticed like when I mentioned fatigue, chronic fatigue, it's like, Yeah, no, I get tired. Oh, yeah, just have a nap. And you're like, No, fatigue is different from just being a bit <laughs> like it literally needs me bed bound oh yeah no you know just go to sleep earlier and you're like I think I haven't tried that one
1: yeah no I love it it's like oh have you tried yoga um
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I think that could be a whole episode on suggestions <laughs> um, Said, thank you so much Isra is there anything else you'd like to share
1: I think like, I guess
0: the, the last
1: one is because it's such a it impacts one in 10 women, so about 10% of women. But it takes about seven to eight years to diagnose. And most women don't know they have it until maybe they're trying for a baby. Because um, not it doesn't always present in super painful per- periods. But um, I think the important thing is, um, especially in our community, we don't really talk about periods. Um, we don't talk about, and if we do talk about them being painful, the answer is just like they're meant to be. I think the real like it's worth remembering that they're not meant to be Um, and if they are super painful that you find you can't do anything, uh, go to the doctor and really demand to be seen by someone that is a specialist because yeah the earlier you're diagnosed the earlier you can sort of come up with coping mechanisms and you know just fix it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing uh, your journey. You certainly. Oh no, thank you.